Hello and welcome to the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. I'm your host Hannah and I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London. If you want better baby sleep but don't want to cry it out or if you are just confused about the, I don't know, 300 pieces of conflicting baby sleep advice you've received today alone, then you are not alone and you've come to the right place. I'm here to help you navigate nighttime parenting and naptime nightmares. So thank you so much for listening. And if you want to find out more about me, you can follow me on Instagram via Little Nest Sleep or my website, which is linked in the show notes. In last week's episode, I spoke to the brilliant Alice Amber Keegan from the Durham Infancy and Sleep Centre about the history of sleep training and the baby sleep industry as it is today. And I was asking, how did we get here? And by that, I mean a place where here we are in 2021 and the mainstream parenting books actually advise parents to sleep train their babies to the point where they are so upset they are actually vomiting. That might sound a bit extreme to you, but two of the best-selling parenting books in the UK and the US actually advise this. They actually say, don't worry if your baby is so upset during sleep training that they start to be sick. You can ignore that, clean them up and carry on. So it doesn't mean that all parents are doing that. In fact, I think most people disregard the whole vomiting thing. However, there is this very pervasive idea out there that parents need to fix their babies and it's the mum or dad's fault if their little one is waking in the night. And I'm here to say enough is enough. You don't have to sleep train if you don't want to. And if you do want to, that's absolutely cool as well. Everyone is welcome here and I'm genuinely not judging anyone other than the so-called professionals who are lying to parents about sleep. And this podcast is all about the alternatives to sleep training and dispelling these myths. So I've come to find that everyone is an expert in baby sleep nowadays. And there are hundreds of books out there and thousands of Instagram sleep consultants. And we all have so much information coming at us particularly in the pandemic where our physical social networks have pretty much shut down. So lots and lots of us, particularly first-time parents, have turned to Instagram and Facebook groups for advice. And you know, there's some really good stuff out there, don't get me wrong, but there's also a lot of bollocks. And some of it is really, really well marketed. And when you're already exhausted and confused and isolated, it's really hard to know who to listen to. And as we discussed in last week's episode, there are all these systems in place to undermine parents um, and kind of gaslight us and tell us our instincts are wrong. A lot of us feel like we're doing it wrong right from the start. And that for you might have begun in pregnancy or birth or when your baby arrives, you might find you have a few challenges with feeding or sleeping. And the message so often is you're doing it wrong and you don't know best. No wonder we end up absorbing so much information and messaging about baby sleep that doesn't feel quite right. It's not a mystery to me why so few of us parents feel like we really can trust our instincts when there's this whole culture around parenting that is telling us our instincts are wrong. So now we've looked at how we got here, I wanted to start to unpick some of the baby sleep myths floating around out there on the internet. And I thought, who better to do this with than my fellow holistic sleep consultant, Lucy Bagwell, who you might know from her Instagram account, Second Star to the Right Sleep. 
she's got an absolutely brilliant account um if you enjoy watching people dance around uh without any self-consciousness in reels but also enjoy receiving really reassuring and realistic sleep advice then give Lucy a follow because most importantly she just tells it like it is and I followed her for a while and I'm such a big fan of her approach to sleep and motherhood in general in fact I used to worry that a gentle parenting person might be a bit I don't know wishy-washy softly spoken and well, I guess annoying. Um, But I just want to say that gentle parenting is really not about perfection or being a particular type of person. It's not about achieving a state of constant zen. What I love about Lucy is that she's a bit sweary. She's straight to the point. And also, and this is really important for me in order for me to like someone, Lucy is completely unashamedly imperfect and I genuinely believe it's really important to remember that we can understand that it's normal for a baby to wake at night and still be really pissed off and angry about that. You can feel committed to being responsive and gentle and working with your baby's biology but at the same time feel touched out, impatient, helpless, hopeless grumpy and irritable and that's okay we're all human and I love that Lucy talks about not having to love every single second of parenting and that it's okay to find this stuff and sleep hard but her advice that she gives is always so great and it's really impactful which I love so Lucy and I decided to talk about some of our favorite sleep myths and I hope you enjoy our ranting I can't help but feel this interview was a bit of a precursor to me and Lucy propping up a bar somewhere in South London one day going on and on and on for hours about how messed up the baby sleep industry is. Who knows, maybe we could all at some point organise a group pub trip where we can just have our rants all in person. So let's get started with this interview although I should say that I'm afraid I slightly messed up the first 30 seconds or so as my microphone wasn't turned on so we're going to dive straight into it but you know sometimes that's better you know we can skip the the small talk and chip chat and just get right to the point and talk about which are the worst baby sleep myths out there. So what was the most common sleep myth you think that you heard as a parent? I think there's a, a lot of it is, there might be slightly different ones, but all based around sort of how you put your baby to bed. Mm. Um, so a, a lot of things that we're, we're told we're doing are bad habits and around sort of spoiling your child. Basically, by responding to your child, you're apparently doing something wrong. So whether that be feeding, cuddling, uh, rocking, responding to their cries, all of those different things, it was sort of that realm of myths that that you hear so frequently and also I think is one of the most damaging myths around um, because it's basically forcing parents to completely go against their natural instincts. We naturally are triggered by our baby crying and want to respond to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, And so... When you've got people that are seemingly professionals, and it's very difficult because the sleep industry is unregulated, so the whole thing's very muddy, but, you know, as a new parent, 
you sort of start reading these things, you're like, oh, so I'm, I'm not meant to respond to them when they're crying. And that's very confusing mm. because you're sort of like, I definitely want to respond to them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, totally. And this whole like, when you read these things online, they're like, oh, just put them down, drowsy but awake. And you're like, yeah, that makes absolute sense. I'll just do that. And then you go to your like screaming baby and the second they even see the cot they're just like no no because obviously they're also hardwired to want us to nurture them and soothe them as well so um, it just goes against so much biology doesn't it to just yeah tell tell parents ignore the cries and to somehow tell babies that they shouldn't be crying either it's just it's a bit of a mess absolutely and you know I think the difficulty is there'll always be sort of like you know your cousin's friend's daughter whose child you know, was just very happy and chilled to be put down in the cot and did just go to sleep. But that's got nothing to do with what they did. That's just that child's temperament. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. And I think uh, any parent of more than one child as well will uh, will tell you that. Um, and my, I'm one of four. So my mum was always like, just trust me, you're doing it right. Like they are all so different. And once you've had more than one child, you realise that you weren't this baby whisperer if you had one of those babies that just slept all night. You just kind of that was just how they came out and uh also you're not doing anything wrong if your baby's more wakeful because that's just what they needed at that time and that's not to say there's nothing we can do to kind of support the support parents and families when things are going really you know going a bit wrong but um yeah temperament is such a big thing isn't it no absolutely because also I think it leads a lot of parents of um it's so difficult because the language around tr- children is uh, is very tricky, in my opinion, as well. But what people consider to be a high needs child um, is a very it give, leads to sort of very negative connotations and starts to make a parent feel like maybe they did something mm. that made their child this way. But actually, it's just personality. And actually, a lot of the personality traits of a coined high needs child are fantastic traits. But as they grow up, it's just potentially when they're a baby, it can be tiny bit more work yeah I read something really lovely recently which was saying that sensitive people are incredibly important for a society and for you know if we were in a village you know we need people that are more attuned to emotions or you know and and past cultures have celebrated those people and they've been the the poets and the artists and the creative people and they've been revered in that society whereas nowadays we just find you know that we're not so tolerant of sensitivity and we just feel like everyone needs to be strong and independent from the from day one really Mm. but anyway so we when we were planning this um this chat we said let's talk about all the annoying baby sleep myths and I rather naively said let's keep it to like three or four because you know we don't want to ramble on for hours and hours and then even just in the email I sent you about this I realized I've put eight in there and that was me being really um cutting them back a lot so uh yeah I guess this is just a warning to say we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours um and we've just happened to pick some of our favorite sleep myths but there are millions out there um and so I suppose the first one should we kick off with the idea that babies only wake up in the night for food absolutely I mean it's a brilliant one (laughs) it's I really believed that and before I even was pregnant and was thinking about having a baby I thought okay I'll have a few months where the baby will need to eat at night and then as the baby gets older I'll just stop the feeding and I'll get my sleep back (laughs) that was what I just thought 
No, I know. And I mean, it's because it, it's, a, it's a common sort of shock to some parents where they sort of, they actively make the decision to night wean, um, assuming that by night weaning, all night wakes will stop. Mm. And, then and then their baby's now still waking, but they've actually taken away their most surefire way of getting back to sleep. Yes. <laughs> um, so while, you know, I, I think it's, it's also about understanding that, um, that feeds itself is not just about food. So while a baby may feed to sleep every single time they wake up, it's not necessary, necessarily always 100% about nutrition. It's about the closeness and the bond and the comfort. And also, you know, uh, particularly when breastfeeding about, you know, potential pain relief and all of those sort of different things that you're getting from a feed that isn't actually based around a child being starving hungry. Yes. And I think that is true as well of, of however you feed your baby with bottle or breast. Obviously, they are they are different in lots of ways. But uh, a bottle fed baby is also getting that cl- that closeness, that reassurance, that comfort from a feed as well. And oh, 100%, yeah. you know, and there's this idea that they've had that many ounces or milliliters and therefore they, they don't need the, the cuddle or, or what have you. Um, so, yeah, it's. And as you say, it can be really disappointing if you decide that, right, that's it. You're not really hungry. You don't need those night feeds anymore. You cut them out and then the, the wakes continue. That is, that's really bad luck. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, but that's the thing is essentially you're taking away, uh, you know, the comfort and everything from the feed. So you might just have to be giving the comfort in another way. And, you know, at the end of the day, it is a, it is a tricky one because for some people who night wean, the night weeks do stop. Yeah. But that's potentially a point where that child was, you know, ready for those things. Sometimes we we take action um, of sorts exactly at the right time mm-hmm. for that particular child. And so, um, you know, it does go very smoothly because they really were ready at that point for that to happen. But what also is really important to know is that night feeds, you know, you might stop and then they might come back and you might you know and it's okay to be flexible and not have this sort of cut and dry like we were night feeding and now we are not night feeding and and to just have a bit of flexibility for yourself so you don't feel stressed about it if you do end up feeding again yeah and you can feel like oh I've given in and oh they didn't need the feed before and now uh, you that's when and we will come on to this, but sometimes people can then feel like their baby is manipulating them or you're just spoiling them. But yeah, that w- but that was my experience as well, is that um, I was very lucky in that my baby kind of naturally started sleeping longer in between feeds and wakes. And so I felt like I was kind of going at his pace and mm. was able just to kind of gradually drop them. And I suddenly realized that he'd not woken at that time for a couple of weeks and blah, blah, blah. But then... I think it was like a month or two and then suddenly a growth spurt came along and he was very, very hungry in the night again. And I was like, oh no, I thought I was out of the woods there, but you know. Yeah, and, and if feeding to sleep is working well for you, roll with it, it's a superpower. Um, okay, so uh, the next myth we wanted to talk about was uh, leads quite nicely on to spoiling babies. So all of those cuddles and kisses and feeds and co-sleeping or whatever you're doing, wearing your baby in a sling, it's all going. They're going to learn to really expect that every time, and you're making a rod for your own back. It's just. I mean, I just find this one. It's just madness. <laughs> I like. I really like. I. I just can't. I just can't accept the fact that anyone would tell you that you can, you can spoil, but you know, 
I say particularly a newborn, but of course it's not just a newborn, but you do, I, the, the amount of messages I've had from, you know, from followers or from families that I've worked with of, of you know, fourth trimester babies, where whether it be family members, friends, or, you know, professionals who are telling them that they're spoiling their four week old baby. I just can't. <laughs> I know, I know. It seems so old fashioned, doesn't it? And yet it's, I certainly heard it. I remember I was wearing my son in a sling for a nap on a train. I'd been chatting to this really lovely woman. She had two little kids and it was a really pleasant exchange. And then when he was in the sling, she went, oh, be careful with that. He, he's going to expect that for every nap. And I was like, what like he was a few months old he was tiny you know and I was on a train and I just I really I'd nailed it because I'd found a way to get my child to sleep in transit which I think is a good thing but, absolutely um, it's amazing yeah. like what, what what did she want to be happening for you to be d- d- having a screaming baby in your arms like <laughs> yeah in a packed train on you know yeah with yeah I don't know I don't know just be careful you know um I suppose it's this idea though that um which I touched on in last week's episode about this movement of behaviorism, which was in the kind of early 1900s where psychologists started to look at human behavior as this idea that we're all conditioned. So if you cuddle too much, you're conditioned to expect the cuddles and therefore you'll never be independent. And what we've actually learned since over the last hundred years or so is that the, the opposite is true and that it's only once you've had enough cuddles are you secure enough to not n- not need them as frequently? Yeah, no, right? 100%. Attachment fosters independence. You know, we don't teach, um, you know, independence by just leaving a baby on their own. I mean, it might, you, it, might look, it might look that way in certain circumstances by forcing independence on them that they don't, are then not crying for you and all of those different things. But that's not because they're independent. And also why... It's you know when we really look at little babies who are literally unable to do anything, why are we so obsessed with them being independent? They can't be. They can't do anything. (laughs) I know. I know. It's like yeah, yeah. It's just bad science, isn't it? It 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 makes sense. It's it's a simplistic kind of uh, rationale that I can see what how people get to that that thinking, but uh, it just we just know so much better now about about how our brains develop how our how our personalities develop yeah 100% i mean i always i i i always say that you 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 simply cannot cuddle a baby too much never ever be cuddling your baby thinking that potentially you're doing something wrong it just can't be wrong and uh, so up next we want to, i want to talk a little bit about um babies manipulating you then which is similar i guess but this that idea of manipulation takes it, I feel, to another extreme. So not only are you spoiling them, but they're actually intelligent enough to try and play play you for a fool to get what they want. I know. I mean, this this one's amazing because it, it's, it, it's just simply cognitively impossible. So there's no sort of like, there are certain ones where, you know, someone who speaks very well might be able to argue a point of something or other. But with this one, it's just it's ba- it's basic science, and I, I'm no good at talking about science, so don't ask me to say all of the right <laughs> words. But but all I know for sure is it is cognitively impossible for your child to be manipulating you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I just the idea that uh, a four week old or even a fourteen month old could be um, yeah trying to get a cuddle or a feed or or any sort of need out of you for their own 
I don't know, advancement is just, um, it doesn't make any logical sense. But I also think it sort of plays into the fact that um, this sort of needs versus wants mm -hmm. scenario, where it's like, oh, they don't need it, they want it. But actually with little babies, needs and wants are very much the same yeah. thing. Um, and so that argument just falls short in that sense anyway. Yeah, we like to, as a, I think, as a society in the West, put on a lot of adult logic onto like infants um and it's not helping anyone it's also another way just to kind of undermine parents you know um to be like oh well you're just being manipulated that you're weak that you're because there's this I feel like there's this narrative that uh, nurturing behaviors and kind of your natural parenting instincts whether you're a mother or a father those that need to kind of soothe your baby is a, is a weakness rather than a strength I know it's such a funny one because being responsive is 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 not weak, nor lazy, nor laid back. It's sort of like, oh, that's just, oh, you're just doing the easy thing. You're just not doing anything. And it's like, <laughs> it is not easy to be responsive. <laughs> um, actually, thank you. Um, so yeah, it's just the whole the whole thing is just very strange. And also just like, it's it's again, it's this it's the language. It's just there's such a lot of incredibly negative language around children and around normal behavior um, and so to label um, a child needing support and needing an attachment with you to label that as manipulation is is horrific yeah. to be honest yeah and attachment is obviously it's, it's how we've survived as a species you know babies are so incredibly needy that they we would only survive as a species if and we only the only reason we do survive is because somebody loves us so much that they will wake every two hours or every hour in the night to feed us to rock us and see this you know if if we were left to it like maybe some other mammals would do in the animal kingdom we wouldn't get we wouldn't survive a minute you know we are born extremely vulnerable and we are vulnerable for a really long time you know really we should be born much much later shouldn't we compared to other animals so yeah, but I, I, I'll be honest, I am quite glad that we, we kept it because, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, per, I personally was very done with being pregnant. <laughs> yeah, me too. Can you imagine? I think there's some animals that are, like, pregnant for, like, two years, and I just, I mean... I genuinely wonder, like, if, it would, if, if we would do it less <laughs> if we had to be pregnant for two years. 100%, yeah. Yeah, so uh, maybe that's it. But, you know, I think it's worth remembering that that attachment is survival, you know, it we only survive because someone loves us so hard that they will put up with all of our nonsense as babies and babies are very very they're full of nonsense they're very silly little things and look yeah it's really hard work that's true you know it's it, it's not easy having a baby and so it's you know uh, it it can be quite um easy as parents to sort of hear these myths and sort of fall into them and being like well, you know, maybe, maybe maybe that would be better. Maybe they would need me less. Maybe it would be less hard if I didn't do this. And that's why some of these messages are so dangerous because they can, they can if they're marketed in the right way, which a lot of the time they are, um, mm -hmm. it can be very appealing. Yeah, 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 definitely. And um, I think you're, I, I so agreed with what you said about parents feeling they're choosing the lazy option sometimes. So I often hear people say like, oh well I'm just I'm too lazy and I just so I end up bringing my baby in bed with me or I end up feeding to sleep and I know I should be kind of you know settling her in other ways in the night and things like that but I'm just so tired and I'm lazy it's just all of this negative stuff that it just it's 
I just feel like the constant message is it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. Mm. No, 100%. Leave us alone. Like, there's, no, yeah. there's nothing like being a parent for suddenly everyone to feel like their opinion really matters. It's like... <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like it, actually. I don't think I've ever experienced so many opinions aimed at me than until, like, from the, until the second I started to, like, show that I was pregnant. It just was um, pretty overwhelming. Yeah, it's like an invitation. It's like, yeah. no, no, you were not invited, my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so the next myth is my favourite. <laughs> um, and that is the myth of, of self-soothing. Right. I'll let, yeah. I'll let, if it's your favourite, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll let you take the lead. <laughs> I, there's so much I could say about this. Um, so I guess we should start off by saying the word soothing is... It's a ridiculous use of the word soothing because that implies that a baby with an extremely undeveloped brain I mean we could barely lift its own neck let alone you know have rational thought can take can calm itself down from a state of distress to calm and just casually put themselves off to sleep independently from from being they can go from livid to calm within a few minutes it's just it there's absolutely no logic for that in in my point of view I don't understand why people use the word self-soothing in that way I think the language is very muddy and I think um uh when I've spoken to people and they've been like they've said self-soothing I've explained what self-soothing means in terms of going from a heightened state right back down to calm and they're like no I don't mean that I mean literally from calm just falling asleep on your own and so it's like so I understand that sometimes the language is confused but also the um I, the skill and I, I I've done inverted commas but obviously none of you can see me so but I thought <laughs> I'd let you know um uh, the skill of falling asleep uh, independently is not something that can be taught and it's definitely not taught by non-responsive sleep training which actually is trying to tell you that you they are teaching your child to self-soothe because they are going from a state of crying or upset down to calm and falling asleep. I think this is where it gets very muddy, is it's like these two things do mean different things, but actually a lot of what the marketing around sleep training is, is it's telling you it is going to do the thing that is cognitively impossible. Um, yeah. Uh, but actually what we're really looking for is the other version, but that isn't something that can be taught. That just comes when yeah. they're ready. And a set, what I, you know, what I always talk about is it's about making sure all of your child's needs are fully met at which point they may fall asleep independently potentially yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's after we've met all of those needs and one of those needs might be comfort and connection at which point they're going to fall asleep with you do you know what i mean yeah so yeah. you can't if if we if we can work towards sort of like you know making sure that all the sleep hygiene is optimized all you know everything's worked on so that they are in the calmest most happiest calm state possible to fall asleep independently then we're giving them the best fighting chance to do so but we can't teach them to do that we can just continue to make sure their environment and their state is the best possible one of the things i've heard you talk about before and really like is um is focus on the calm i think that's such a great strategy to have yeah a hundred percent and that actually leads it's a little bit onto another i don't want to sort of like jump the gun but in terms of like the drowsy but awake scenario if you if you sort of forget about that and we just focus on calm because calm 
always has to happen before sleep for good, happy sleep. And what we really want to do as well is we want to make sure children have happy associations with going to sleep. And to do that, we need to help create calm. Now, if your child is by the end of the day and you've, you know, everything's gone right that day and we're not overtired, undertired, cold, hot, hungry, all of these different things, and they are calm, then that's great. If they're not calm, we need to co-regulate them to make them calm. Yeah, and sometimes that might be supporting them to sleep for a, a length of time. And that's okay because that's just, you. I, I always try to remind myself this as a parent and as someone that works with families is that it's so important to meet yourself and your child where you are today. So don't worry too much about, well, what, what if this and what if that and I can't be doing this when he's this age or she's at, going to the nursery or all this. Just focus on today and focus on what is working for you and your family today, what is making you calm right now and follow that. I just couldn't agree with you more. I, I Almost every single person I speak to, it's about working out what is the best for right now rather than worrying about what right now means for in a month's time. And, and we, if, if I do that, will I have to break that habit later? Well, you know, you might want to change and adapt things as things move forward. That's just life and that's absolutely fine. But if you spend your whole life making you know, today's decision about three months time mm-hmm. and that you're, and, and, and by doing that, you're then battling against where your baby is actually at. You're just not going to be very happy. basically. It's an uphill, constant uphill battle that way, isn't it? If you're just mm. constantly fighting, fighting yourself, fighting your baby, fighting what's working today. And, uh, and also sometimes babies just change things um, without, like without you even doing anything either that can also happen not always sometimes you do have to change a pattern but uh, like for example I used to worry about how I would ever stop breastfeeding to sleep and then one day when my son was quite old he just literally wouldn't fall to fall asleep during a feed anymore and I was devastated <laughs> you know he was just like okay thanks for that what's next mom and I was like no like that's our thing now and he was just like no not into it anymore it's cool do something new and I was like oh no, <laughs> yes. no, no of course and you know things are always changing and that's the thing you know what's what what and what was once serving you very well may stop serving you well and you and you find it you find a new way and that's absolutely fine and you know we're always so worried that we're going to have to actively change things but I mean look sleep consultants sleep trainers sleep books parenting books all of this stuff did not exist before but you know people weren't feeding to sleep at 30 so (laughs) so do you know what I mean so it's just about yeah trying to trying to just not stress yourself out over changing something unless it is problematic for you Mm -hmm. if you if you personally don't have a problem with what you are doing or how you are putting your baby to sleep then it is not a problem it doesn't matter if someone else tells you it's a problem because it's not for you Mm -hmm. yeah and I also want to add to this section that um yeah it's really hard to talk about babies isn't it in general terms because a two-month-old baby is very different to a 10-month-old baby you know and it it changes all the time so I do it is difficult to talk about these things in such generalized terms. And obviously, when we work with clients, it's always one to one and tailored to that family. Oh, of course, look, of course. And as you and I both very much agree, they are all so so different. So just because my child stopped feeding to sleep on his own doesn't mean that your child's will either. And you know, I would, I just want to reassure people though that you absolutely can feed to sleep 
and all rock or cuddle or do whatever works for your baby and your family and your baby can still sleep really well you know I I support my child to sleep every night and he sleeps well you know so it's not it, it people are terrified that there's this guarantee that, that self-soothing or self-settling is this this barrier and if you could just get them to self-soothe or self-settle then they will sleep through and actually I work with dozens of people who say to me my baby goes into the crib awake settles themselves to sleep and they're still waking several times a night or the naps are still this way or that you know they're still and and so and they feel like they've been they feel really angry because they've been missold this like this fix to everything and then it doesn't even change anything yeah oh no look 100 i'm literally working with a family right now who feed the child to sleep and that child sleeps through the night yeah so well yeah yeah whereas um a lot of people there a lot of people out there will tell you that's like physically impossible yeah, or something which is you know it's <laughs> just rubbish Okay, so drowsy but awake. What do you think about drowsy but awake, So, so the main issue is for a lot of children, that state doesn't actually, it, it, the drowsy state doesn't really sort of exist. They're sort of awake or they're asleep. <laughs> and yeah. so that's why for a lot of people, it's like a really difficult balance. It's sort of like, you know, that for example, a mother maybe is trying to feed until drowsy and then put them down awake. And then it's like, they get, you know, the baby goes on the boom. It's like, oh, they're asleep. Ah, it's like, what do I do? I was told it had to be drowsy. And it's like, and then, I mean, what I, what I cannot bear is when people tell you that you should then wake your child to then put them back to sleep in a different way. Don't get me started. Um, um, but yeah, so in that sense, it's just, it's, it's basically expecting all, all babies to have this sort of magical sort of state where they're about to fall asleep, but not really asleep. And that's why I say about calm. It's, it's about, you know, if you, if you want, if you want to work on, um, settling your child in the car for whatever reason focus on calm don't focus on drowsy just because I mean what you know what does it mean <laughs> <laughs> that's it and I, that's it's such a good point because we're not saying that you can't put your child to sleep you know put them down awake in their cot to go to sleep independently some children prefer that some naturally do it some for some families there are so many reasons why that might be more convenient or preferable to you and that's fine as well you know I support families to do for that goal if that's what they want to try and work towards but not so that it will guarantee sleep oh, yeah, or yeah, that yeah. it's this kind of magic formula and yeah and as you say though some babies just never do it you know it's it's all of, and we're coming back to temperament aren't we you know and it's um I've I've I myself, for example, I killed myself to try and get my son drowsy but awake. I had a, a midwife tell me when he was 10 days old and I was having like one of my first visits to say, you know, and I said, I can't put him down anywhere. He doesn't sleep anywhere other than on me. And they were like, oh, just do drowsy but awake. And I was like, oh, OK. And I tried it for like months, maybe six months. And every time he would just scream. He was just having none of it and it just wasn't his vibe. Yeah, I mean, either put them down just awake or let them fall asleep on you and then put them down. <laughs> or, or to be quite frank, or put them down drowsy but awake if that works for you. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Is there's, You know, when we, uh, when we talk about, like, like you were just saying about in terms of cot sleep, when we talk about these things, it's, it's about us sort of 
demystifying something that is potentially causing a lot of parents stress. That's not to say that if any of these things we're talking about actually work for you, that that that's a problem either. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We're just, you know, it's more about that. But um, at the end of the day, it's just about working out what works actually works for your child and, and not so desperately trying to battle against what, what their personal temperament and, and needs and wants are. So a lot of people I speak to will say things to me like, I am quite happy with our sleep situation. I know it's normal, but my baby does wait quite a lot and do short naps. And I've read that by not sleep training her, I'm potentially like holding her back developmentally and she needs to be sleeping a certain number of hours and without waking in order for her brain to develop i mean this is one of the highest forms of scaremongering that there is because <laughs> because what what it's doing when when uh, you know certain sleep trends or companies use this as their marketing they're they're literally telling you that as a parent you are damaging your child mm. by not sleep training them and that as a marketing tool makes me furious very nearly sweared very badly then <laughs> but you know because because i think a couple of really important sort of points to factor into this as a concept is one every child's sleep need is different so we could not possibly say that there is a set amount of hours in a 24-hour period that a child has to have to be able to develop well okay because the variability of sleep need is quite vast okay so that's one Two, it's not taking into account normal infant sleep, and normal infant sleep can be very broken. That's normal. And also three, night wakes. Now, not obviously not all, but a lot of a lot of the time, um, you might have very very broken nights, but your child wakes up, uh, feeds, latches on, or has a cuddle, and goes back to sleep relatively quickly. You, as the parent, perhaps don't go back to sleep so quickly. <laughs> so you wake up in the morning and you are very very tired because you've woken up multiple times and it's taken you 10 minutes to half an hour to fall back to sleep each time. But actually, uh, in terms of loss of sleep for a child, um, very minimal, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's just touching the surface of why this is wrong. Yeah. But Yeah, I think if we were to get really technical here, we could talk about the difference between sleep fragmentation versus deprivation and all of these things. Yeah. Um, and, and, and maybe that is a little bit too... Um, geeky to start talking about but what what really grinds my goat is the lack of evidence so if you're going to scare people into buying something then at least have some evidence to back it up and the truth is there is zero evidence to indicate that um like fragmented sleep as in a child who's waking between cycles and asking for support from a parent or having short naps is in any way um bad for development but what they do is they use a lot of data we have on adult sleep and you and apply that to children and it's and as you say it sort of denies what is just biologically normal for for babies it's how they've been sleeping for millions of years and and if fragmented sleep was such a big problem I don't think the human race would have evolved to the stage we are at now yeah a hundred percent it's just there are two there are far too many children uh, the majority who have fragmented sleep for that not to be normal. <laughs> yes, 
it's just yeah it's like when you look yeah if 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 normal is the problem then that's just weird right yeah so it's just it's one of i think it's one of the most upsetting scaremongering tactics that that are out there because it it really is it's damaging to parents mental health to make them think that they are literally physically damaging their child yeah and it's just another message that you're doing it wrong so you might be happy with your situation but you're doing it that instinct is wrong again it's just instinct is your parental instinct is you know you don't know you don't know what you're yeah. doing Sad. <laughs> oh it's oh i could just rant about this no i know we hours. shouldn't know me and, me and yeah. you together ranting on this no one wants to hear it <laughs> <laughs> to sum up you are not damaging your baby if you decide not to sleep train is 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 the is the short kind of mini rant yeah (laughs) what what I often see as well so it sort of ties into this idea that sleep is and obviously sleep is um, important we're sleep consultants we we support families to get good quality sleep we know all the benefits of of sleep um but we work within a biologically normal way. Um, but there's this really popular myth that babies, all babies need to sleep 12 hours overnight um, in order to get that development, which is sort of is follows on from the previous one about sleep training being necessary for a child to be to develop well. And now there's this idea that not only do you have to sleep train them, but 12 hours is is the gold standard for some reason. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, I think I, there's even a book, I think, called The 779, yeah. I think, probably shouldn't. But I mean, there's, there's a problem with it, though, is because it's not actually the average, so the average nighttime sleep from, you know, birth to sort of two and a half is, some, is between sort of nine and 11. What that's doing is it, if, if we're told that's what the child needs, but then that's not actually your child's sleep need, they could be sleeping so well, but you'll still be having some kind of breakdown that your child isn't doing isn't doing the right thing because they literally can't achieve more than 10 hours at night and one thing we you know one thing we categorically cannot do no matter whether you sleep train or not you cannot make a child sleep for more hours than they literally need um and it's just a shame that parents are left striving for potentially the impossible yeah you know totally totally i mean I chased that seven till seven schedule so hard as a mum. Like, oh my God, I really, really thought if I just got the timings of the nap right, you know, that that he would do it and sleep begets sleep. I mean, that's a great one, isn't it? It's such an annoying phrase. Yeah. But also, I mean, it's, it is you know, also important to note, there are some children that do sleep 12 hours. There are some children that sleep 13 yeah. hours, but there are also children that sleep eight or nine and they're very, very happy. It doesn't mean there's a problem. That's it, yeah. Um, yeah, and once you kind of just... Yeah, it's about working within what's normal for you, isn't it? And yeah, but just... Oh, if your baby is going to bed at seven and waking up at six, you're not doing anything wrong. That's probably just what they need to do, you know? Oh, 100%. yeah. I wish I, I wish someone had told me that like two years ago. I just I feel like I would have saved myself so much like stress about it and confusion. Like, why isn't it working? What am I doing wrong? And I think that's the problem with um with strict rules and kind of one size fits all sleep strategies isn't it is that it just it's not it's probably it it will work for some people and they will rave about it and you will see those reviews on like social media or their websites being like this changed my life I've gone from you know being a zombie to a um you know running a business and like 
taking over the world and I'm you know all of these things I fulfilled my all of my wildest dreams now that my child sleeps seven till seven and thank you to this book or this whatever course and you think yeah like okay I'll have that that sounds brilliant like I feel like I feel like poo right now so that sounds much better than that and then you try it and you're like oh I must be doing it wrong because it's just not working yeah yeah no, I know a lot of this stuff is based and uh, leads to a lot of parents feeling like they've mucked it up when actually there is simply nothing that works for all children and there are simply no specific expectations that every single in terms of sleep that every single child will do exactly the same and I have a big problem I suppose with um I think that there's been a link between the kind of resurgence of popularity of kind of sleep training and infant sleep support and social media and the problem with social media is that you don't get to see the negative reviews you know if somebody comments and say actually this didn't work for my family they just delete it you know you just delete that post whereas you know Mm. so it's quite hard to find out if things are actually working I've never really thought about that before (laughs) you know you can if someone says actually not for me well, why would that company keep that post up there? They just delete it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it can be really, really tempting when you see all of these glowing reviews popping up. Um, but you don't see all of the DMs that say, hold on, I've been doing this for three months and my child is still screaming every night. And blah, blah, blah. They're not going to show those negative reviews, are they, on their stories either? So No, for yeah. sure. I just It just didn't even cross my mind. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, okay, so our final sleep myth for today um unless you want to throw any more in there is um it's it's the idea of good naps and that short naps or pram naps or sling naps aren't restorative or proper or whatever what do you think about that you are the nap queen I feel like (laughs) I'm not the nap queen I just did a very very ridiculous (laughs) reel on on Instagram dancing about how how all naps are good naps (laughs) Um, but I mean, but, but that's, that's the key point though, is all naps are good naps. And actually, um, something that I say to all the families that I work with, uh, if, they, if they are sort of particularly sort of like desperate to have a cot nap for whatever reason, I say to them that while we can try and work on, you know, um, your child getting comfortable for some cot naps, I would always try and actually keep some flexibility because actually sometimes for a lot of families, they can get so het up about all naps mm. needing to be in the cot that actually you then yeah. can't even leave the house you know and I've got it you know with the nap times and, uh, and you know while you might get to a stage where your child does nap the best in in the cot you know once they're a bit a bit older and it's a bit of a longer nap and they want the dark and the quiet and they're a bit too overstimulated otherwise mm. for some children um that actually by by not letting yourself have any flexibility you can actually mm-hmm. get very very stuck um but you know it's 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 just a myth that they have to be in the cot for it to be a good nap in any sense you know lengthwise quality wise you know in fact a lot of the time a lot of babies will give you their best longest nap Mm -hmm. on you and then you put them down in the cot and they'll do 20 minutes yeah I often actually something I ask clients is uh so maybe if a baby is uh, a bit cranky and gen- like we think okay they really feels like they are they do actually need a little bit more sleep in the day that that you know that they're they're quite unsettled and cranky and dysregulated and let's try how can we try and get those naps a bit longer um I often the first thing I ask is well ha- what happens if we 
don't go with the cot you know let's let's try a sling nap or a contact nap or a feeding nap um and then nine times out of ten the the naps do lengthen but obviously it, it depends on lots of factors and and short naps are also really normal as well some babies will just do constantly short naps I had a baby like that no matter where he slept on me beside me in a cot for months and months and months probably till he was about 10 months old he did 30 minutes and I was like okay well at least I know what to expect you know I just gave up trying to change it and then it just changed on its own when he was older yeah I mean because that's the other thing is you know to understand that obviously sometimes there are factors around why a child might wake prematurely from a nap and when they actually did could have done with a bit more sleep but actually a lot of the time our children are very good at regulating what they need and unfortunately while it's not you know necessarily convenient for us as parents sometimes for a nap to only be 20-30 minutes long if they wake up and they are happy and smiling then they have likely had the sleep that they needed yeah it's so true I it's quite similar to food isn't it you know sometimes we can think oh I feel like my child should eat x amount of food but actually they're the amazing thing about babies is they're brilliant at getting what they need and when they're full they just stop and I think it's really similar with sleep you know they get what they need and if they don't need a long nap they're not going to do it you know you and you can't force it and if they 30 minutes is what they needed that day then and like you say they wake up and they're good to go then that's it you know you don't need to spend an hour resettling them and stressing out because they didn't achieve that two hour long lunch nap that everybody says know, yeah. is the key the two hour long lunch nap <laughs> i mean that that's that's a myth when i say it's a myth in its own it's 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 a it's a myth that it is a must because it, you know it's not a myth in the sense that there are there are enough children that do do that so you yeah. know it's not it's not that it's an unheard of thing and it's nonsense but it's just you know like with everything there is no sort of like standard that every single child does. And some children just never do these mammoth naps because they potentially just don't need them. They don't need that amount of sleep. And, it, and if they were, if you were to somehow magically make them do two, three hours during the day, that actually they're not going to sleep well at night. Mm. So, yeah, you know, it's so true. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, it's just this idea that babies are robots and that they need to follow a routine and you just, what you put in, you get out. And therefore, if you feed them X amount, get them X hours of sleep and, you know, it, it all becomes very regimented. And it's this idea that, yeah, they're robots that just follow a pattern. And actually, we're all just, they're, they're, we're people. I think sometimes we forget that babies are people and there are days when we don't want to have too much sleep or you know or when we're more tired or more grumpy and we need more sleep sometimes you know just just like babies oh I, I mean absolutely it's one of my sort of biggest mantras to people is that babies are humans because I know and I know <laughs> and I know that sounds really obvious to anyone I say it out loud to but actually a lot of the thought process behind that is not actually how we think sometimes we do expect more from our children than we do from ourselves we expect them to, to feel the same every day, behave the same every day, do exactly the same amount of um, sleep at the same time in the same way every day. That's just not real life. No. It, somebody told me, actually, that babies are more human than than the rest of us. <laughs> I, I quite like that way of thinking about it. I think that's probably quite true, that, you know, because they've got, they're not trying to inhibit their natural feelings. Like we're constantly trying to sort of make us, you know, potentially sort of make ourselves feel a certain way or, you know, try and push down negative feelings or to come across in a certain way and all of these different things. Babies couldn't give a shit. They're just like, this is me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's my favorite thing about babies they're just like they're just so they're just there aren't they they're just doing their thing they're not worrying about am I going to learn to self-soothe next week yeah. <laughs> just they're just chilling. Yeah, they have a I bloody clue good. they're like why is mom so stressed I'm, <laughs> I'm just chilling here like I just want to chat and it's like and we're sort of going mad like why are they doing it and they're just there and they're just being <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, all of these things that we talk about, you know, it's a lot easier said than done to just let it all go, to try to drown out the noise, to ignore, you know, uh, delete accounts that make you feel a certain way. Don't listen to um, information that makes you feel like you're going against your instinct. It's much easier said than done to drown out that noise, to let go um, and to, to sort of go with the flow and f- find out what really works for you. Um it's not actually that easy to do, um, but if you can in any way, even even just in a, in, a, in a certain way, let go of that and trust yourself, you will feel more relaxed. Because I actually find that the weight on parents' shoulders with, um, of all of the information and misinformation and you have to do this and you have to do that and you're doing it wrong weighs just as heavy on parents' shoulders as the actual sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And you're so right. It's re- it's really easy to say, just go with it. Tune into your baby and relax and follow their lead. And it's not that simple. And surrendering is really, really hard. And I'm not someone who is like a naturally chill out kind of person. I'm Bit of, a control, <laughs> bit of a control freak. I really like structure. I really like order. I really like feeling like I know what's going on and parenthood for me has been an, a sort of undoing and unraveling you know process in which I've had to figure out how to let some of that go a little bit but it's mm. hard like it has not come easy and I don't expect it to come quick and easy to anyone listening yeah. to this either yeah it's not about just chilling out and it'll be all right sometimes you need help sometimes you need intervention sometimes you need support and that's okay that's you know you should never feel like oh I'll just relax and it'll be all right because sometimes sometimes it isn't yeah and you've also never done anything wrong you've you've never done something wrong or failed if you decide to seek support either you know it's not like because you know sometimes get parents like I feel like I I should have been able, should have been able to deal with this myself. I should have been able to work it out myself. But actually, I find a lot of the time, in terms of uh, you know seeking sleep support, when you are in the throes of your own sleep situation, it's actually very hard to step out of it, to look at the bigger picture, to see you know what's normal, what can be tweaked, what can be aided, and what support my baby need, and what support do I need. Mm-hmm. It's actually very hard to do that for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, we are we are a social species, aren't we? So we are supposed to be getting support from our village, from our community around us. It's just that for, for most new families in 2021, that that village isn't really there in the same way. So it's about finding the right people to listen to, the right people to help guide you rather than instruct you or tell you you're doing it wrong. It's about how can you, yeah, finding the right support is so important because um, it's okay to listen to other people and take and you know and some some of my friends and family members have given me amazing advice it's you know just because there's a lot of bad advice out there and a lot of myths out there doesn't mean there's not also some really great advice and sometimes it is being like you know well why don't you just try like 
doing a nap a bit later and you're like oh okay well I didn't really think of that and then you try and you're like oh wow that worked you know so there's little things that we can it's all trial and error and it's all about like listening to people and getting that support it's just it's just hard when there are these really like pervasive myths coming at you as well and and oh it's so difficult yes tricky tricky dicky (laughs) (laughs) and on that note (laughs) (laughs) and good luck with it all (laughs) yeah Yeah. but hopefully with this episode we've cut through a few of the kind of bit of the nonsense about manipulation and self-soothing and crap naps and all that stuff because um it's yeah it's it's really hard basically <laughs> yeah and just try, i think i think really the big the big take home is trust your instincts if you're being told something by someone that really really awesome as uh, a gut reaction is like oh that doesn't sit well with me then re- disregard it disregard anything that doesn't sit well with you yeah that is that is that's excellent advice not just for sleep for everything right yeah yeah i like that a lot yeah and uh and it's going to be okay and everything does pass even if you I, I also like to remind people that even if you do nothing it will get better you know that that you know doing nothing is sometimes a good strategy sometimes you need more sometimes you need um more intervention and that's okay but um you know it, it, it they're all seasons that will that will that will pass Okay, well, Lucy, I've absolutely loved talking to you today. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. I know you're a really busy lady working um, and you've got lots and lots of clients, which is great. But do you want to tell um, the listeners a little bit more about how you work and how they can get hold of you and, and check you out? Yeah, can do. So um, so you can either check me out on Instagram, um, second star to the right sleep. I know, I'm now just not even sure what my Instagram handle is. So that's good. Yeah, no, it is. It's second star to the right <laughs> underscore sleep. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, or Google second star to the right sleep and you'll find my website. But yeah, so as, as well as everything, I you know I post um, lots of hopefully helpful hints and tips on Instagram. I do a weekly Q&A as well. Uh, but I also work one-to-one with families giving bespoke um, sleep support. So, you know, if you want, if you want to discuss um, any one-to-one support, get in touch and we can have a, a free 15 minute call and go from there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And it's been really fun talking to you about all the sleep myths. Uh, so yeah, thanks no, very much. Absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really good fun. Thank you so much for having me.